The Athletic. Today's Totally Football Show European Edition Champions League key midweek matches. Napoli at Ajax, Milan at the Bridge. We're here. Who the Romans call London Tower? Discuss how Le Breeze became a big cheese and say going, going Gonzalo to El Pepito Higuain. All that and much, much more in this Totally Football Show. Hey, listener. Nice to see you again. It's Tuesday, the 4th of October, and it's a classic lineup on today's Totally European Edition with James Horncastle, Alvaro Romeo, Raphael Honigstein, and happy birthday, Julian Laurent. <laughs> Julian Laurent. Thank you, guys. Wow. Julian's just shocked us all by revealing his real age. <laughs> you won't believe what age Julian Laurent actually is. No. No yeah. one would believe. Yeah. No. What? 57. Incredible. I'm counting. For, for a man who gets a football shirt every, every week. Yes. I mean, what, what football shirt can be special for him in his birthday? Mm, good question. I mean, which one are you missing? Four. That's a good question. Mm. Uh, I don't know, because now, now I, need, I need shirts that have you know, been actually worn by players during the matches. So, okay. You know, that's the idea. Are you doing anything special for your birthday, Jules? Let me think. If I could, you know, spend spend an evening with friends, for example, you know, in a quite, you know, quite in a intimate space. Intimacy, exactly. Yeah. Uh, Watching you know. some of the finest footballers around, perhaps. <laughs> On live television, yeah, that's a good idea. The Gold Show is always great when it's your birthday and it's the Gold Show, you know. All right. Never had a Gold Show on my birthday. My birthday being May the 29th, listener. Make a note of that. Traditionally a night for Champions League finals. So, hmm. Anyway, today is not May the 29th. It's 4th of October. Happy birthday, Jules. On the show today, we're going to have maybe a bit of Nations League chat. Maybe we'll talk about uh, James Horncastle's trip to Paris. Ooh, maybe a shout-out for uh, Gonzalo Higuain, who's just decided to hang up his shooting boots. Damn. You may have thought he was retired already. Uh, also, there's the massive Champions League week. Ajax Napoli, Inter Barcelona, Benfica PSG, and of course, Chelsea Milan, and many more. Uh, we'll get on to uh, as many of those topics as possible. Let's begin with a round of Moments of the Week. Rafa. Moment of the Week in Germany came very early, James. It came on Friday night and it came after three minutes because Leroy Sané scored from what was more or less Bayern's first attack. Amazing, amazing assist from Jamal Musiala, who had an outstanding game against Leverkusen. Musiala auf Höhe des Strafraums. Flach nach innen. Möglichkeit für die Bayern. Tor! Tor für die Bayern. Leroy Sané. The goal was so big because it opened the floodgates. It made it easy for Bayern and... You remember how fraught the atmosphere was going into that game, four games without a win, loss against Augsburg. So it was a huge goal in the mm. context of, of Bayern's season. And then as they often do, when they start going and they're ahead, they blow teams away. Uh, Leverkusen also a very pliable opponent. So perhaps quite, uh, quite a good team to play when you're in crisis yourself. But it was... Really, really, I mean, you cannot overstate how important that win was for Nagelsmann and for the atmosphere in Munich and therefore affecting the rest of the Bundesliga. So, yeah, Sané, nice. moment man of the week. Excellent, Bayern laying down a bit of a marker there by beating a team in the bottom two of the Bundesliga. Jules, what have you got as a moment of the weekend? I would pick uh, the goal scored by Théo Lebris for Lorient on Sunday afternoon against against Lille to give the win to Lorient, who are third in the table with a big surprise. Vers Lebris, le bon contrôle de Lebris, qui arrive dans la surface de réparation. Frappe de Lebris, et le deuxième, le deuxième but orienté, et c'est le moment de l'entraîneur Régis Lebris. And what makes it even better is that he was his birthday. He turned 20 on the Saturday, so the day before the game. And also, if Lebris kind of rings a bell for you, it's because Regis Lebris is the Lorient manager and he's Théo's uncle. 
So you turn 20, you celebrate with your family, including your uncle, who is also your, your coach. And then the next day, you score your first ever league and goal to give your team the win with your uncle on the bench and the whole family in the stadium. So pretty special weekend for the Lebris family, who again are doing very, very well with Lorient. Mm, lovely stuff and great use of the term U-turn as well. Alvaro, your moment of the weekend. <laughs> well, my moment of the weekend is um, is the man of the weekend, actually. It's Coque. After playing against Sevilla, he became the Atletico de Madrid player who has played more games uh, with the club in all competitions uh, for a total of 554. A guy that uh, is resilient, who rarely gets uh, big injuries. He has played something like uh, over 30 uh, games uh, a season since 2012, uh, league, league games. And the truth is that uh, he's tactically diligent, uh, an academy midfielder, a passionate player, and a very important one for Atletico de Madrid. Uh, strangely, he has played around 554 yeah, uh, games for Atletico de Madrid, but only, I believe, that with three managers, uh, Kike Sánchez Flores, Goyo Manzano, and then Diego Pablo Simeone, because he's been holding hands with Simeone since uh, November 2011. So congratulations to him. Wow. Sensational. He's been at Atletico since he was six, is that right? Yeah, that's right. Uh, he's been always there. He's been always there. Crikey. All right. And Horncastle. So many moments you could choose from. <laughs> so many stoppage time moments that Ooh. I could choose from you know, Milan's win against Empoli. Uh, but I'm going to go with Udinese because uh, they keep winning. It's now six straight wins. Uh, they won on Monday night against Hellas Verona, who are coached by the former Crawley Town manager, Gabriele Cioffi. Choffi was in charge of Udinese and thought he could get a bigger and better job at Verona in the summer. So he left and Udinese decided to appoint Andrea Sotil, um, kind of former dour, monotone centre-back who really started his coaching career at the bottom of the football pyramid. And it looks like an inspired decision um, because... They've beaten some really good teams. We've seen them beat uh, Roma 4-0. We've seen them beat Inter before the international break. And, you know, Beto is a real kind of return to form for Udinese's scouting system. He scored five goals in the first eight games of the season. Came off the bench on Monday night um, to get them back level because Josh Doig, the Scottish wingback, had given Hellas Verona the lead. Um, and... Yeah, it's great to have Udinese back because Atalanta had kind of stolen their thunder as the Cinderella story, if you like, in, in Serie A. And at the moment, Atalanta and Udinese are on the podium um, mm. in, in Serie A. So it just goes to show that you can really punch above your weight and how competitive Serie A is. Right Absolutely. Top five separated by three points. Napoli and Atalanta level on points with Udinese one point behind. Crikey. It's Italy where we begin this week. This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Lovely stuff. Yeah, Chris Smalling, London Tower, just along the Thames from uh, the other big landmark, Ben Big. And, uh, <laughs> but, but what a goal that was. <laughs> What a goal that was at San Siro on mm -hmm. Saturday as Inter hosted Roma, coached, although he was serving a touchline ban by former Inter hero Jose Mourinho. And Inter once again taking the lead and then losing a match. First of all, cracking stuff from Roma, from Smalling and Dybala, James. Yeah, I mean, as you mentioned, they went behind. It was quite an interesting setup from Roma in that game because Jose Mourinho, you say he was coaching I mean he was on the coach uh, serving that touchline ban watching the game unfold on a big screen that um, some Roma electricians had basically set up for him um, but he left Tammy on the bench he played without a striker so it was Zaniolo, Dybala and Lorenzo Pellegrini and what they did was make the middle of the pitch really congested and it was hard for Inter to play through and to be honest, it was a lovely team goal from Inter that moved that Roma defensive setup around Federico Di Marco picking up where he left off on the international break. He played very well for Italy. But then Roma showed great resilience um, to get back into the game. You know, Spinazzola, who 
I don't think has been the same player since his Achilles rupture um, at the Euros. He's still kind of just coming back into form. I think it's been difficult for him that Zalewski, uh, one of the young players from Roma's academy, was a revelation last season. Uh, but he puts the ball in for Dybala. Dybala loves playing against Inter, loves playing against the teams that spurned him. So we already saw him set up the equaliser against Juventus in Turin. And we saw him score this wonderful volley where he doesn't really hit it cleanly, but it hits it with such power uh, past Samir Handanovic. Well, Handanovic should save that every single day, though. Come on. This which Handanovic? Is... The good one or the one that Inter have got today? Um, well, the, the one that they have today can't save it. But, I mean, come on. I know it's a, good, it's a good move and it's a nice volley, but he should save that. He should not go in. Yeah. I agree, Jules. Um, you know, we could uh, we could say the same about Rui Patricio as well. I mean, it was a True. bad night for goalkeeping uh, at San Siro. Um, but Dybala gets them, them level and then Roma's superpower under Mourinho because Mourinho just signs really tall players who are about six foot eight. It doesn't matter if they're Nemanja Matic and they haven't played for two years, he still wants them in his team. And one of the reasons for that is because Roma from set pieces... They've got one of the best crosses of the ball in Pellegrini. And they've got all these giants in the box. And one of whom is Chris Smalling. And Smalling has scored some big goals this season. But even if you overlook his, his, the goals he scored from set pieces, uh, and the one he scored on, on Saturday was to, to win the game. Roma hadn't won at San Siro in five years against Inter. His defending has been very good as well, uh, mm. really since he came back into the side l this time last year um, and helped stabilise Roma, helped Mourinho settle on a system that he's never really played before, which is a back three. And that kind of solidity, that uh, ability that Roma have to basically say, you know what, we're not ashamed to defend in our, our own penalty area and go on the counter-attack with Tammy, with Dybala, with Zaniolo. Uh, because we've got Smalling and players like that, and they can they can help us see out wins. And you know, I, I wrote a piece on the Athletic on Monday, basically saying you know Smalling it's, it's kind of strange he just isn't at all in the conversation with England. And I know he's 32. I was watching Monday Night Football on Sky uh, last night, and they put kind of all the players that are available to Southgate on it. And Smalling again didn't figure in it, and there was maybe 12 centre backs there. Um, so, you know, on the basis of, you know, the last 11 months, you know, I think Smalling should be talked about more. Uh, I'm not saying he should start for England, but he should at least be talked about when it's like, what defenders do England have? Um, because he's, he's done very well. So, yeah, I mean, he was a man of the match, I think, for the third time in eight Roma games. Um, and, you know, Jose was celebrating afterwards because um, a very big win for him against his former side. Inter destroyed Roma last year. Um, they loved playing against them, beat them 3-0. I think they were 3-0 up at halftime at the Olympico. Um, so to do this to them uh, was satisfying and it kind of showed that they're, they're making progress, Roma. Absolutely. They're one point behind Lazio and Milan in the hunt for a top four place. Uh, Inter, meanwhile, slipping to ninth, fully eight points off the lead. A pressure building on their manager, Simone Inzaghi, Today's Gazetta describing this evening's game, Tuesday night's game against Barcelona, as a now or never occasion. Ooh, what kind of prospects do they have against the Catalan Giants? Not great, I don't think, because, you know, I mean, Inter, this generation of Inter players have played Barcelona in the Champions League group stages before under Conte. They played very well at the Camp Nou. Lautaro gave them the lead very early, and then they couldn't maintain the intensity that they played at. Um, for an hour and Barcelona came back into the game and won the game and then when Barcelona came to San Siro they played a B team essentially Ansu Fati scored when Ansu Fati wasn't really a known quantity to anybody um, and I worry about Inter at the moment um, because I think it feels like something is broken and you can see it in the body language of the players you know they've been really kind of irritable all season you know, they throw their hands up in the air. Um, they're complaining, uh, not just at the referee, but with each other. Um, Jules has mentioned Handanovic's form. You know, I think that's a, another reason why Onana will start against his former club, Barcelona. Um, De Vrij has been dropped. Brozovic is injured. Lukaku hasn't played since August. 
Um, but they didn't have Lukaku last year and they played really good football last year. They won two trophies. They improved in the Champions League and they took the title race down to the final day. And it just feels like the chemistry that this team had has gone. Um, and I think, you know, one of the reasons for that is, um, you know, the club is is still in financial difficulty um, at at the beginning of every transfer window, the players pick up Gazette of Sport like you do, James. They read that they're leaving or they're being sold. And I, I think that ebbs away at the sense of belonging that the players have, their their ability to identify with Inter. They're, they're all wondering how long they're going to be there. And I think it does have a cumulative effect. Um, it's not the, the, the single reason for why Inter are, are flopping at the moment. I think there are some shortcomings to Inzaghi. But likewise, I, I think were they to change the manager and bring somebody else in, I, I'm not sure this this form that we're seeing from Inter would improve or it would change. Mm. It's their worst start in Serie A for 11 years, uh, back in the immediate kind of uh, post-Mourinho period. Uh, their opponents, Tuesday night, Barcelona, by contrast or in contrast, are unbeaten in seven games in the league and have just gone top in Spain with a, a wonder win over Mallorca. Yes, and uh, they are La Liga leaders for the first time in two and a half years, uh, which is quite incredible because from 2009 until 2020, I think Barcelona was topping the table of La Liga for the 64% of the game days, basically. And since then, since 2020, Barcelona hasn't been leader of La Liga again, basically since Kike Setien was, was the manager. But, uh, you know, they beat Mallorca, true. The game wasn't bright. Barcelona had many problems to stop Kang In Lee, a player who is very good between the lines. Uh, but Barcelona has a couple of certainties that Inter Milan doesn't, actually, because uh, Jens was uh, referencing the goalkeeper. Barcelona's goalkeeper, Marc-André Stegen, is rediscovering his best form. In fact, one of the saves he did to Jaume Costa inside the six-yard box was phenomenal because not only he saved the ball with no time to see it, but he also blocked it. Uh, and that is reminiscent of the best Ter Stegen. And then up front, uh, Robert Lewandowski. Really, his landing in Spanish football has been sensational. He's not only scoring goals, he has scored, by the way, the 50% of Barcelona goals this season, but also he has become a leader automatically. I don't know if he speaks the language very well. Uh, I don't know if he has had the time to, uh, you know, settle in Barcelona completely, but he seems to be happy. On Sunday, he was cycling around in Barcelona. He is a leader and a moral reference for the players, and uh, he's playing very well. Uh, he's scoring the goals. Barcelona has more certainties right now than Inter, but I think that this game is crucial for Barcelona. It's probably the most crucial game that Barcelona has played in the last year because this summer they activated many levers. They sell a lot of heritage from the club and all this was towards a target to make sure that they progress far in the championship. Well, uh, the draw wasn't friendly for Inter and Barcelona because they are playing with Bayern. Then Barcelona has been very unlucky in the international break. And this international break, uh, I think that they can take a part uh, in some teams' future because uh, there are important games coming up, all of them very congested in October and November. And Barcelona has lost Araujo, Kunde, Bellerin, uh, three players who play in the same flank of, of the defense ahead of the, the game against Inter. So probably they will have to field Sergi Roberto Piqué. Eric Garcia and Jordi Alba, something like that. Uh, four players, by the way, who come from the academy. And this is not the best defense that Barcelona can field. So they've been a little bit unlucky with the injuries. Uh, also, Memphis has been injured in the international break, but this is not a massive drama because they've got the strikers. But uh, in defense, Barcelona has been debilitated in the international break. And I think that Inter could capitalize there. Okay, well, as you say, with Bayern in the group running away with things already on six points and with Victoria Pilsen at the Allianz Arena Tuesday night, it does look like one of Barca and Inter are going to miss out. So these next two games, home and away for Inter against Barcelona, absolutely crucial. Meanwhile, Napoli and Milan both winning 3-1 at the weekend. Napoli at home to Torino. Milan in quite dramatic uh, late circumstances at Empoli. They both have huge matches as well in that Champions League. Uh, Milan at Chelsea, Napoli at Ajax. Ooh, which are you more excited about? Napoli are playing some of the best football in Europe at the moment. Yeah, they've not just got one of the most exciting front lines. And, you know, I mean, that's irrespective of whether Osman plays or not. Osman won't be available in Amsterdam tonight. Um, but with Simeone, with Raspadori, Raspadori played really well 
in the international break, um, scored in both games against England and against Hungary as Italy won their group in the Nations League, which is more important than the World Cup, as we keep reaffirming. But I think their midfield is is as good as any in in Europe at the moment. And, you know, look, Ajax uh, have been knocked a little bit by that defeat to Liverpool. Um, yeah, they lost to RZ in the league after that. Um, so they're second behind RZ, who are the revelation in the Eredivisie at the moment. They drew with go-ahead Eagles at the mm. weekend because they decided to ro- rotate their team before the, the Napoli game, and that just didn't pay off. But yeah, I mean, in terms of aesthetics, this should be a very exciting game. For, for me then, at Stamford Bridge, you know, we've got a piece coming out on Wednesday about you know, Chelsea's pursuit of Rafael Leao in the summer whether he's still of interest to them, given that they're signing Christopher Nkunku, which, you know, Rafa has been reporting on. Yeah, Tomori, Giroud going back to the bridge. But it's just a shame, I suppose, that it won't be a full-strength Milan because just mm. as Barcelona have got injuries at San Siro, Chelsea will be uh, will be facing a Milan side that doesn't have its best goalkeeper, Mike Magnin, who is injured with France. Teo will probably face a late fitness test, might not make it. And they lost three players to injury against Empoli as well. So as much as it was a... A win that showed the spirit in this Milan side, and they'll need to draw on that against Chelsea. It is a, a Milan side that is uh, debilitated, uh, mm. to use Alvaro's word. Indeed. And Milan, who were 1 0 up away to Empoli in the 91st minute, then saw Empoli snatch a late equaliser and uh, celebrate getting a point, only to then see Milan from kickoff score again and then again to make it 3-1 in the 96th minute. Remarkable. Both Napoli and Milan are currently atop their group. Chelsea, a huge game this for them because they are currently bottom of Group E. But there's only three points between Milan on top and Chelsea. So mm, things could change very rapidly. Quick shout to Monza, who got their second straight win. Berlusconi's team, they beat Sampdoria 3-0. Sampdoria promptly fired their manager. They're bottom of the table. You fear for Samp. You do. Next up, Bundesliga. The only way to score is, of course, to play uh, with a handbrake off. Hello, I'm Ian Stone, host of Handbrake Off, the twice-weekly Arsenal podcast brought to you by The Athletic each week. I'm joined by two of Amy Lawrence, Adrian Clark, Art de Roche and James McNicholas. What a lineup that is to talk about the best club in the Premier League. This week, join us to bask in the North London Derby glory. And let me tell you, do we bask? <laughs> yes, we do. Come back later in the week on Friday as we look ahead to another massive tussle with Liverpool and look to keep the number one firmly by our name. Search for Handbrake Off now, available wherever you get your podcasts. And while you're there, if you could hit follow to make sure you keep up with the best team, that's us covering the best team. That is Handbrake Off. So good, we made it twice. This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. The Athletic is the only place you can read articles by Daniel Taylor, Amy Lawrence, Phil Hay, James Pierce, Ollie Kay, and the very best football writers around. Rafi! FC Bayern won. You've told us about all this. They beat... By Leverkusen 4-0. They're now two points behind Union and Freiburg. Union got beaten by Eintracht Frankfurt, who are going to be facing Spurs, of course. A Bayern, meanwhile, a level with Borussia Dortmund, who themselves were beaten 3-2 at Köln. And this is very exciting because Dortmund are facing Bayern next weekend. Yikes. Yeah, it wasn't the ideal preparation. I mean, losing to Köln is bad enough, but the way they did it, having taken a lead and then kind of falling apart in the second half, was reminiscent of so many Dortmund collapses that Terzic, the coach, came out and said, well, we've, we've seen it for years. We see what's missing, but we don't seem to be able to change it. Uh, he seemed very, very frustrated. I don't know if you can get that mentality out of the team without making big changes but the problem that Dortmund have is they seem to have this this structure where they have these kids who more often than not are amazing and I'm thinking of you know Jude Bellingham at the moment and Giorena but by nature they they lack experience and lack a little bit of 
sometimes solidity and consistency. But the players around them, sort of the mid-20-year-old guys or even older players, it's they who always seem to find a way to kind of switch off in games. And that is hugely problematic. I mean, in the grand scheme of things, nothing's happened yet. They're only two points off the top. They're in a decent position in the in the Champions League, especially if they get a good result against Seville, which is going to be, I think, possible uh, this week. But then Bayern loom very large. And if you ask me what the result would be if they play each other tomorrow, I would go for a heavy Bayern win, simply because Dortmund have so many flaws yet uh, once again. So that that's... Very, very disappointing, I think, for them and for the rest of the league because you want your second-best team to play like the second-best team and right now they don't. All right. Who is the second-best team then for you, Raf, this season? Uh, at the moment, Bayern. No, I'm joking. Um, <laughs> I think uh, I think Union Berlin really play like the second-best team at the moment. I mean, they, they, of course, don't have the players. They don't have the the fluidity, the creativity that some of the bigger sides have, but they're really solid. Uh, and yes, they lost against uh, Frankfurt, which was a disappointment, but we've seen them just show up and be very courageous, take the game to Bayern when they were playing at home not long ago. And they're just the real deal uh, right now. Mm, I mean, Freiburg I'm slightly less convinced by, even though they're second at the moment and they're also going really strong. But Union, I think, is the side that's been most impressive this season. Rafi, a lot of goals in the Bundesliga this weekend. I mean, there's like a there's a five-one from Werder Bremen against Gladbach, a couple of four-nils, Bayern against Leverkusen, Leipzig against Bochum, and then like three three-twos. I mean, is there anybody coach defending in <laughs> in the Bundesliga? What's 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 going on? I think apart from one year. I think I'm right in saying the Bundesliga has been the highest scoring league in the top five for mm. 30 years in a row. Statisticians, please phone in if I'm wrong. No, that's why people talk about the Bundesliga tax now. For transfers uh, out of Why? There's so many goals that you Germany. need to... No, just that, you know, it's a little bit like goals in the Eredivisie. When you're signing a oh, striker, I, I don't need to name names, but yeah. Exciting Harland, league, for example. Yeah, I mean, we have seen big Bundesliga strikers really struggle who, after moving to different leagues this season. So maybe there's something in it. But um, I, I don't know, uh, James. Um, I think we don't have any defensive teams with the possible exception of, of Union, who would probably find that characterization unfair. But they're perhaps the one side who are a little bit more old school and pragmatic in their approach. Everyone else kind of wants to play, wants to press high. And if you don't do it well, that leaves huge gaps and becomes very open. But I think it's kind of what people want. Um, of course, you you know maybe perhaps could increase your chances by having a more pragmatic approach. But coaches, we don't really have coaches like that in the Bundesliga. We don't really have clubs who say to their coaches and their players you know what we want is to be really solid and win every game one nil so it's kind of the nature of of the where the league is at the moment and i think you know we have a obvious problem with competitiveness when it comes to the title race but the fact that not the league but also the games themselves are very open is something that is actually you know hugely attractive i mean you go to Werder Bremen uh, Gladbach and Bremen are newly promoted side. Gladbach have been pretty decent under Farke, and they just, within 30 minutes, uh, score three goals and totally blast them out of the water, and people are celebrating as if they're back in the 1980s under Otto Rehager. So, you know, you get these big moments. Um, next week, it could be the other way around again, but that's kind of the intrigue of the league, I think. Mm, very nice. Well, in the Champions League, five Bundesliga clubs bringing their intrigue into play uh, across Tuesday and Wednesday by Leverkusen. As I mentioned, they're in the bottom two right now in the Bundesliga. Currently second in uh, their Champions League group behind the surprising Bruges. They're going to be at Porto, who've lost four Champions League matches in a row and a bottom of that group. Bayern in the Inter and Barcelona group host Pilsen, as we mentioned. Dortmund are at Sevilla. RB Leipzig 
up against Celtic and Frankfurt hosting Spurs. Ooh, what do you see happening in that one, Raf? Yeah, Frankfurt Spurs is an interesting one. I mean, at home, Frankfurt tend to look very strong, especially in those big European nights, although they started badly against Sporting. But yeah, going into that game on the back of that win against Union, I think they will be fairly fairly confident. They can beat even a more defensive side than Union uh, in Spurs under Conte. <laughs> but uh, no, I think I think Frankfurt have a decent chance. Spurs don't look that impressive at the moment and Frankfurt are you know within their own means they're a, they're a decent side so yeah I'd, mm. I'd give them a good chance to, to actually win the game Alright Europa League champions of course currently level with Spurs on three points behind Sporting in that group Antonio Conte whose side are coming off a 2-0 defeat at Sporting and whose win rate in the Champions League has now dropped plummeted to 34% with that defeat and Leipzig against Celtic Rafa yeah, Leipzig have found a bit of form. I mean, Bochum are the worst side in, in the division and they just changed managers and clearly weren't quite up to it. But uh, there are signs that Werner and Kunku are striking up a good relationship uh, again. Werner has looked a little bit lost since coming back. But uh, he he scored two goals and Kunku scored two goals. Uh, Marco Rosa has momentum going into the game. They will feel that Celtic is a sort of opponent that they should beat. So there will be pressure on Marco Rosa, I think, to continue uh, with this upward trend, which has been still a little bit unstable. But yeah, this is a Leipzig side that if they start playing and they take the lead, then they should have too much for Celtic. But we've seen what Rangers did to them. We've seen um, how poor they were against Shakhtar not long ago. Um, so yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if they if, if Celtic get a draw, but Leipzig should really do it. Celtic, who pipped Leipzig to a second spot in qualification in their Europa League group when they were drawn together four years ago in that competition. You mentioned the growing relationship between Timo Werner and Christopher Nkunku. Uh, is that set to be shattered by the latter's transfer to Chelsea, Rafa? It certainly looks that way, uh, James. Uh, unless Timo Werner comes back to Chelsea and then they can play again with each other, nice. but I think that is unlikely. Yeah, we we've seen we've seen reports, and and, and David Ornstein uh, had a, had a story out in his column saying that it's basically done between the player and uh, Chelsea. The way things work is there is a kind of a de- release clause. It's not as clearly defined as other release clauses because it's dependent on certain performances, etc. But Chelsea, certainly from all of what we've heard, feel that they've got a very, very strong chance of making this happen. And the denials haven't really convinced me, uh, I must say. So I, I think it might not be 100% done because it never is until contracts are signed. But Chelsea are in a, in a great position to make it happen. And I think it would be a real coup. I don't think you can downplay just how good this guy is and will be really outstanding player, probably the the best player, uh, not named uh, Lewandowski in Haaland for the last uh, two, three years in the Bundesliga. And yeah, a, a super talent. My, my only fear or concern would be that I don't think he's a number nine. I think he's best playing either in a two or in a three with uh, someone next to him who is slightly more physical and slightly more orthodox. I wouldn't put him put him as a number nine, just the way that also Kai Havertz and, and Timo Werner don't really want to be, I think, that number nine, in, in certainly not in the in the Premier League. So I think they need to find a way of, of giving him support. But in terms of his individual potential, he's absolutely superb. Right. And would that move be for January or the end of the season? No, it will be for the end of the season. There's, right. I can't foresee a scenario whereby Leipzig would let him go before that. All right. Excellent. Next up, quick mention of the Nations League because it's so important. And Liga. We're all driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. 
you can use Indeed for scheduling, screening and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. According to their own survey, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites. Remember the last time you were hiring and how slow and overwhelming it was? Well, you don't need to go through all that again. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent. And because you listen to The Totally Football Show, Indeed is going to give you a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash totally. That's I-N-D-E-E-D.com slash totally. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed at Indeed.com. On Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Smart Speaker and now ad-free on The Athletic, this is The Totally Football Show with James Richardson. Carvajal como me gusta, remata Nico, gol, gol, gol. Ahí estamos, ahí estamos, ahí estamos. The Nations League Final Four, Netherlands, Croatia, Spain and Italy. Italy who sealed their place winning in Hungary, quite the turnaround for the Azuri after the way their year started. Spain, meanwhile, grabbing the last spot with a victory in the Iberian derby against Portugal. How about that, Alvaro? Well, uh, it was apotheosic because Spain had been so poor for the first, let's say, 70 minutes and the previous game against Switzerland that uh, it, wasn't, it was unexpected. But Alvaro Morata scored the winner. I have to say that uh, Luis Enrique gave a chance to a few players in midfield who didn't work at all together. Uh, Coque and Carlos Soler uh, playing with Rodri, they just didn't work. And then in the second half, he brought in uh, Pedri, Gabi, Busquets. Rodri went down to the centre-back position and he did very well over there. And Nico Williams, the Athletic Club, uh, Club Bilbao winger, uh, came in and he set up the goal for Álvaro Morata. He was uh, busy in the game. Uh, Sparkling, I would say. And yeah, Spain got a win and then Luis Enrique vindicated himself in a very funny way on Twitter. He just uh, uploaded uh, on his Twitter account. He doesn't tweet a lot, by the way, but this time he uploaded an Excel with the achievements of Spain in the last three, four years. And he was basically like, uh, showing off a little bit that Spain has uh, been at least there uh, with him because they reached the Nations League final a year ago, the Euro uh, semi-finals, and then this uh, Nations League Final Four as well. So it was a little bit weird by Luis Enrique, but given the amount of uh, negative opinions that he has been receiving by some very influential journalists uh, in the Real Madrid sphere, I think that it's understandable what Luis Enrique did. All that said, uh, you know, uh, you ask me, will Spain win the Nations League? And I'm telling you, maybe or maybe not, maybe. because I don't know what to think about the Spanish national side. All right. What, what, what about the World Cup? The World Cup, again, the same thing. I think that we're going to give a torrid time to Germany and then we are going to struggle to, to beat Costa Rica or Japan because this is Spain right now. They cannot win the winnable games. And then they, when they play against good opposition, you realize, oh, yeah, they are as good as them. But, you know, we are missing so many individual talent as well. And Gerard Moreno, for example, on Monday, uh, it was announced that he's going to miss the next four or five weeks. So he's one of the good scorers of Spain. He will probably not make it to the World Cup. And Sufati is not making it to the squad. Difficult to predict. I mean, uh, you know, you look at France, even if they have a bad day, you've got Mbappé, Benzema. They beat you 2-0 easily on a bad day. Spain needs to have a good day to win games. That's the thing. It's very difficult like that. Mm. Hey, let's look at France, Jules. Let's look at Ligue 1, where just four points separate the top four, three of whom are unbeaten after nine matches. PSG, Marseille and Lens. And the other team in there are Lorient, who you told us about earlier on. What a remarkable start they've been having because they were kind of marked out for relegation, no, rather than potentially Champions League qualification. Yeah, you're right, completely. They struggled last season to stay up, even. They got rid of their manager in the summer and they promoted within because Regis Lebris, the new manager, was the head of the academy. He's um, like a super intellectual, which is really rare in football, but he had a decent career as a player. Like James. Like James, very much. Yeah. Uh, and I think was always very interested in, in other things than, than football, you know, went back to university, all that kind of stuff. And always had really, really good ideas. I just think he was waiting for the right time to, you know, to get, to get that kind of promotion. And now that he got it, he's working really wonders with a team that is playing great football to start with, which I think is, is very important. 
and developing players, improving players. We talked about his nephew, but he's, he's still a young kid. He's, he needs more time. But someone like Enzo Lefe, for example, who is there, for me, the, the most outstanding player in this team, uh, who plays as a number 10 or number 8, who is the player in the, the whole big five leagues who has the most press this season so far, pressure pressures on the opposition. And he's someone who has an incredible story, uh, really. His dad was... Um, a gangster, spent a lot of his time in prison until he committed suicide in prison. And I think Enzo Lefebvre had to, to live with it when he was a young kid, very promising, going through the academy ranks and having this, this burden on his shoulder that his dad was never there to, to watch him play. And like other kids who had their whole family and he had to provide for his mum. And I think becoming a football player, as, as much as he loved football and was clearly very good at it, but was also very much like the only way for the whole Lefebvre family to to have a decent life considering that the dad was in jail for so long. So incredible story and to see him now playing so well because he, was, he had always so much talent but, and he's still very young, there was always something missing and, it's, and it seems that this season so far has been really, really impressive. So well done to, to Lebris for also getting the best out of us, all those players that he has. We could name, you know, Watara, we could name Mofi and, and plenty more because they're, they're, really, they're really the sensation of the season so far. Mm. Jules, does um, Lebris have a nickname like Pep Genesio? And, 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 and <laughs> does, does, does Lebris mean anything? Is it Regis the, the cheeses? Uh, <laughs> it doesn't. It could be the cheese, but there's, a, there's an S. The cheese is like IE at the end. This was in the IS. What? Uh, obviously, in, Brit- in French Brittany, you've got a lot of le something, you know, in, in, in two words. Yes. Um, and he's very, very much Breton in oui. every sense of the word. So, but no, not yet. He's, he's, he's new. Give us a bit of a time before we, you know, we, we find a nickname for him. Very good. All right. Well, there they are. Third in Ligue 1 behind PSG and Olympique Marseille. Be Angers 3 0. PSG, meanwhile, were victorious against Nice, who are having one or two problems. Uh, two one the scoreline there. Uh, both these uh, two are facing ooh, Portuguese opposition in the Champions League, Jules. Mm. OM up, up against Sporting, a game they'll lose, I'm confident in saying. That's what they because do. Because that's what they do. While PSG travelled to Benfica, who haven't kept that incredible winning streak going because they only drew this weekend but are still looking like really really tough opposition those two teams level on six points at the top of that group Juve and Maccabi Haifa the other two teams in that in that quartet uh, how worried are you for PSG at Benfica? Yeah I think it's going to be a really good game if PSG starts and play in the first half like they did at Maccabi Haifa for example mm. in in match day two then they could get destroyed by what is a very good team. We've said it on the goal so many times. We saw it against Juventus. Uh, we saw it, obviously, we see it in the league, even if you're right, the nil-nil draw the weekend was a bit disappointing. But I think they probably had their, 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 their mind already on this PSG clash, especially at, you know, at home at the La Luz Stadium. So it was going to be pretty good to see if PSG can, can raise the level up a bit more and certainly for for longer period of time than what we've seen so far where they've been really good at times but just in control very much I think this game they will have to be much better than any any game that they've played so far this season including the Juventus one um, and for Benfica if they can also respond to an opposition like PSG if Enzo Fernandez can can still be very influential you know against a team like PSG what will Messi do he was on top form against Nice called a lovely free kick uh, that you saw the, the the photo or the video where Goat the the the, the the fashion brand being now mm. one of the PSG sponsors yes. on the advertising board. <laughs> it happened that after just while the free kick is scored, the goat appears uh, on the, the, the advert. It's a sign. It's a sign. I mean, it literally is a sign. But It did yeah. happen before, yeah. to be fair. It's not the first <laughs> yeah. time. That this, but but he's, he's on great form. One of, like, I think, close to, to being the best Messi or very good Messi, certainly. Um, and, and Mbappé was even rested for an hour against Nice. Yeah. So it, it's going to be great. I think one of the games of, of this midweek in the Champions League. James was off in, in France last week and he came back raving about a player called... Is it, is it Neymar, James, who you, you got really <laughs> excited by? I think he might be the revelation of, of this World Cup. Um, don't know who he plays for, um, but someone's got a player on their hands, a real player on their hands there. 
So I'm glad you went to Paris to tell us that. This was really worth it. That yeah. and obviously the great food that you had, because I got plenty of messages. Oh, mon frère, the food is the best in Paris. Oh, where I, I, it looked like James Horncastle <laughs> spent basically his two days in restaurants. I mean, I'm sure right. he went to the Parc des Princes at some point. But apart from that, it looked like he spent a lot of time in, in hey, Paris restaurant, which is very not to. France or Italy? Uh, oh, France wins wins with bread, I would say. Really? Uh, yeah, Fran- France yeah. France easily wins the bread contest. Yeah, yeah but, I agree with that. But but focaccia? Uh, yeah, I, I like focaccia, but they're just Con, the, for, the range of bread. Uh, you know, think of everything that the French do with bread, James. Pain au chocolat, <laughs> croissant, <laughs> baguette. No, the, <laughs> without doubt, the one kind of the one black hole in the Italian diet is breakfast. I mean, the cornetto, as, as they call it, they're kind of vaguely sugared croissants. It's a real, it's a real letdown. And, and, and France absolutely <laughs> rocks. But, I mean, pizza and pasta, here they come. Anyway, I'm, I'm, I'm a bit surprised, a bit surprised. But I hear what you're saying about the bread. Excellent. The, the place where James went on, what was it, the, the Tuesday lunch? Tuesday. When he went to Table. Yeah. The Table. Yeah, in the 12th arrondissement, just like literally where I was born, in the, in the hospital there. No, it's, no. Very, it's very nice. So. How many years ago, Jules? <laughs> 42 <laughs> years ago today. Wow. In that 12th arrondissement. All right. Well, next up, we'll be talking about a tablet of another kind. <laughs> Barcelona on top of La Liga. What's going on with Real and what's going to happen to those sides and more in the Champions League next. We're sponsored for this episode of The Totally Football Show by Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform helping you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify's there to help you grow. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, which is up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. Plus, you can sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. And what's more, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 support is there to help your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Now, because you listen to The Totally Football Show, you can sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com totally, all in lowercase. So go to shopify.com slash totally to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. That's S-H-O-P-I-F-Y dot com slash totally. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. On Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Smart Speaker, and now ad-free on The Athletic, this is The Totally Football Show with James Richardson. Let's talk about uh, La Liga, where, as Alvaro was mentioning, Barcelona are on our top on goal difference. After Real Madrid had their kind of habitual draw with Osasuna, that's the three of their last five meetings that they've... Uh, only taken a point from. Not sure what the story is there. Karim Benzema, meanwhile, returning from injury and and missing a penalty in this game. And uh, again, habitually, he does that. Third penalties missed against Osasuna this calendar year. Yeah, against this goalkeeper. So, you know, there is some fallible element of Benzema as well, especially Mm. after his uh, injury. But I think that we shouldn't underestimate Osasuna at all because they are one of the good sides of La Liga in terms of uh, intensity bar creativity. Uh, they are one of the good sides of the of the top half of the table. And uh, even they brought from the bench uh, Aymar Orov, one of the gems of their academy in the second half. That tells you that they've got some depth as well. Then up front, uh, Kike García scored a very nice goal against Real Madrid. Uh, he's a journeyman. He played in England, uh, I think, like a, a long time ago. And now, after playing for Eibar, he's scoring goals for Osasuna because he knows the job. But yeah, I think that Osasuna had a very good display at Santiago Bernabéu. And I saw that Real Madrid, sometimes they've got a tendency to give the ball to Vinicius when they don't know what to do with it. 
especially when Luka Modric is not on the pitch and, you know, the creative sources of the team are not that many, they pass the ball to Vinicius for him to do something. And I think that this is not uh, sustainable in the long term because the teams are starting to do a two-on-one with Vinicius or a three-on-one, like some basketball-type defense, uh, and this is working. I mean, Vinicius scored the goal the other day, yes, but on the other hand, he scored the goal because he crossed the ball and uh, no one went for the um, for the header. Rudiger tried, and the ball just uh, hit the net. But uh, Vinicius didn't have the best of the games. And Real Madrid, in general, I think they look a little bit flat this time. They were uh, playing with one more man uh, since the midway the, through the second half, and still they didn't create that many chances. So I think that yes, uh, it's not concerning for Real Madrid. They haven't lost a single game this season, uh, which is very good. And now they are playing Shakhtar Donetsk, and they have played against them so many times in the Champions League that uh, it's difficult to say something new. But one of the setbacks for Real Madrid is that Thibaut Courtois is not going to be available for the game. He will be in the sidelines uh, with the with the back issue. I think that the story of the game is in Shakhtar's manager Jovicevic because he was a former uh, Castilla player, uh, the second team of Real Madrid. He lived in Marbella, he had businesses with uh, some very well-established people in Spain, like Sergio Scariolo, the Spanish national coach in basketball. And um, this is a very special game for him, for Jovicevic. He, was, he played for Real Madrid. He couldn't make it because he had terrible injuries, but uh, you know he decided to take Shakhtar and uh, he's doing a very good job. Shakhtar in the Champions League have scored many goals and they, they are in a good position right now. Yep, Shakhtar, who had a mighty 4-1 win uh, in the opening round of Champions League group stage matches this year, away at Leipzig, but only drew in Warsaw against Celtic. They're on four points, Real Madrid top of that group. Just returning to La Liga, Alvaro. So Osasuna, pride of Pamplona, uh, doing well. But how about the other big Basque side, Athletic Club de Bilbao? Third place. I've got something to brag about here. I mean, they're astonishing this season, really. They beat Almeria 4-0, and I knew that this was going to happen because there is a feeling in Bilbao that this can be a very good season, one of these seasons in which the team qualifies for Europe. Uh, it's not only about the Williams brothers, uh, both scored, by the way, against Almeria. It's also about the quality in midfield. For the last four or five years, with the exception of Muniain, no one was very creative in midfield. But now we have this guy. Ojan Sanzet, this is his fourth season in La Liga, but he's still very young. He plays for the Spanish under 21, and he's a great player between the lines as well, and he adds this quality too to the team that shouldn't go unnoticed. And then uh, the defense is working very well. Dani Garcia is no longer the holding midfielder. We have another holding midfielder like Vesga, who is uh, good on the ball. Dani Garcia wasn't so good on the ball. And the team is uh, oozing with confidence, and they go to the game thinking that they can win it and thinking that they can score many because with Marcelino we were fantastic defensively but with Valverde we attack much more and we have scored four goals this season in two or three games already which is quite something actually because we don't have like a proper number nine like Aduriz who was scoring 20 goals per season not anymore uh, this is a collective effort but all the strikers are up to the challenge and La Liga table looks very nice right now and it looks very logical to me because the best three sides in Spanish football in terms of silverware, domestic silverware are Real Madrid, Barcelona and Athletic Club Bilbao. And the three of them are topping the table. Very nice. It's Betis who are in fourth place. They've got Roma in the Europa League on Thursday and then Atletico Madrid just outside the Champions League spots. But uh, victorious this weekend, they had a 2-0 win at Sevilla. It's Sevilla where Athletic will be heading, Athletic Club to Bilbao will be heading next weekend. Will Julian Lopetegui still be there to welcome them? That's a good question. I think that the reason why Lopetegui wasn't sacked and hasn't been sacked yet is because Sevilla hasn't found a replacement, even though there are talks that Sampaoli could return Sevilla under Sampaoli did very well, very well, um, until he left to coach Argentina. But I think that uh, Lopetegui is having basically extra extra lives every week. I mean, mm. the, dis the display, the performance against Atletico in Madrid was very poor. Atletico could have scored many more, and it would have been very ugly to see for Sevilla fans. And the truth is that Sevilla at home, they've been abysmal. I mean, Manchester City beat them heavily. Barcelona beat them easily. And Atletico de Madrid beat them even more easily. I mean, high-profile games. Is Sevilla competing in them? The answer is no. But in the low-profile games, 
are Sevilla competing in them? The answer is no too, because they couldn't beat Copenhagen with all the respect to the to the tennis side. And then in La Liga, they have dropped so many points, so many points. They are closer to relegation than to Europe. I mean, the situation is very difficult to reverse. And um, on top of that, I think that... Uh, we can point at uh, Lopetegui because uh, the team is lacking a lot of spirit. He himself is lacking a lot of spirit. But what about Monchi and the craft of this squad? I mean, modern football is going in some direction. And uh, it's like, it looks like fresh legs, speed, intensity is the key of many teams. Well, Sevilla's squad physiognomy is nowhere near there with players mm-hmm. like Isco or Papu right now or or many more who are not very mobile, like Delaney, for example. So, you know, I think that many people over there got it wrong. So they are currently bottom of their group in the Champions League, facing Borussia Dortmund on Wednesday. Dortmund in second spot behind Man City. Sevilla, meanwhile, also one place, and I think one point of relegation in La Liga. Crikey. Elsewhere in the Champions League for the Spanish sides, well, Atletico Madrid, who got that victory at the sanchez Pijuan at the weekend, face a pretty big game themselves. They are going to be at Bruges. Big Belgian surprises, Bruges. They're currently on three points like Leverkusen, so, hmm, big game that for Simeone. This is very interesting. Uh, Bruges scored four goals against Porto, and it's not easy to win at Dragao. Porto hasn't lost uh, a game domestically in the league for almost two years now, and Bruges went there. Did it. They got a player, former Barcelona, uh, Ferran Jutla, who is uh, scoring many goals for them. And Atletico, I think that they they should be able to compete very well this time because Jimenez and Savic are back, meaning that uh, the best possible defenders are going to play. And uh, this has repercussions in some other areas of the pitch because then Marcos Llorente can play as a right midfielder his favorite position and because Axel Witzel can play in his preferred position which is midfield so of course getting players back is very important for Atletico de Madrid one player that is in the list that I didn't think that he was going to be is Rodrigo de Paul because uh, as you may know he asked for some days off uh, to stay with his father because he's sick in Argentina and then he was spotted in Miami in some uh, music awards Um, he came back to Madrid, and he's in the squad. I thought that he was not going to be, but anyway, Simeone has been a little bit nice with him. Mm, fine, good. Uh, no journalist uh, ahead of the game against Bruce asked him about Rodrigo de Paul, which tells you as well how sometimes good with uh, Simeone and with Atletico, the Atletico reporters can be. No questions about Rodrigo de Paul is a bit weird for me, to be honest with you. I think that that was the key question that had to be asked to Simeone yesterday. But anyway, one thing about Atletico before I finish with it, Atletico hasn't won two games in a row in the Champions League group stage for three years now. This tells you that they are suffering a lot to get the points in the Champions League as of late. They have to do it. They have to do it because otherwise they will have to fight uh, to qualify with Porto and that is going to be pretty difficult. And Leverkusen are looking sharp as well, at least in the Champions League. Atletico, who beat them last time out on match day two. 2-0, two crikey. All right. We can't leave you today without a, a salute to a very special player who's lit up so many of these leagues. Born in Brest. Jules, French born That's and bred. That's right. He should have played for France, really. He would have won the World Cup instead of messing it up. Trezegated that. Trezeguet did the opposite thing, yeah? Yeah. <laughs> Gonzalo Gerardo Higuain. So, uh, Yeah. Time for a few words. What's he meant to you, Rafa? Well, World <clears throat> Cup final. <laughs> 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 really a lot. Uh. All right. He um, was a star for Napoli. Also for Juve. Maybe a bit less for Milan. Ah, but Real Madrid. I mean, Real Madrid. Real Madrid. Real Madrid. All right. Yeah. 107 really goals in 190 games. Benzema couldn't get in the team because of Higuain. Yeah. Germany yeah. got very, very lucky that on that night he just wasn't on it. Rodrigo Palacio as well missed one with Neuer, I remember. Yeah. Messi basically is one shot of Higuain away from being World Cup champion. All right. Well, that's a goal that he missed, but he scored so many others, uh, including five for Chelsea. Not sure if you remember those. Loads for Real Madrid, as James was saying. Quite a few. And he for, broke the single season record, scoring yeah, record, James, in Italy. Yeah. That Italy. one goal that he scored, you know, when he chased it and then kind of turned yeah. and do the overhead kick. Is Frosinone. And, yeah. and he was instrumental in a couple of Real Madrid league titles as well. And he was doing pretty well at Inter Miami when he decided enough was enough, Jules. 
Yeah, I think he's on 14 in the last 15 games or something. He's really, really good form. That's why it was a bit surprising that he, you know, didn't want to continue maybe a little bit more. Mm. I mean, he's right. got he's got uh, Phil Neville as a coach, so maybe it's not that surprising. <laughs> I'm kidding. You don't have to kill <laughs> Well, so long, Gonzalo. And thanks for all the goals. Be interesting to see what his next move is. I know what we've got in store. That's the Goal Show Tuesday, Wednesday. So perhaps you'll join us for that. Thursday then totally returns with uh, our podcast reaction to the midweek action. And next Tuesday, we'll get everyone back together for another Euro Roundup. Perhaps you'll be joining us too. Listen, I do hope so. For now, though, it's many, many thanks to Alvaro, Rafa, James. Happy birthday, Jules. Have a great day. And producer Charlie and you listener. We'll catch up with you soon. Goodbye. You've been listening to the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Listen ad-free on the Athletic app and discover bonus content by following the Athletic UK Audio Plus on Apple Podcasts. Find out the very latest subscription offers at theathletic.com slash totally. The Athletic.